Well, I'm very happy to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again and declare that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Our series is Heroes of Faith, and this is message number three. And I am praying that wherever you're making your connection with us today, Kendall Campus, shout out to Kendall, uh, across this nation, around the world, through all of those that are joining us through church online, God bless you, and may he bless his word to, uh, to your faith battle today. Uh, here's, I wanna start with a question. Here's the question. Why was Goliath surprised when David took him down with a stone? You know the answer to that? The answer is because nothing like that had ever entered his head before. Um, I told you that to tell you this. The danger when we teach or study a familiar Bible story is to think that, oh, I know that story. There's nothing new there for me. And then we sort of surface listen, you know? We confuse awareness with understanding and sometimes with application. And so may I humbly suggest today that you listen with one ear heavenward and another one toward what's going on in your experience. And maybe if God has something new for you that could change the outcome on your field of battle, that you would say, Lord, I'm listening. That work? Now, my first recollection of the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, was from a, a Bible that my grandma gave me. It was a picture Bible. And I love that Bible because when the preacher was droning on in church, I could just be looking at the pictures and it looked like some of the pictures were so cool, you know, especially the David and Goliath picture. David was like half the size of this giant and his sling, uh, the, the line from his sling was like flailing because he had already slung the stone and the, the Goliath was already starting to fall, you know, uh, because there was this little black dot right here between the eyes in his forehead. And I thought, that is so cool. And I don't remember anything that the preacher said. So, yeah, if you have a picture Bible, you may want to pull it out. Um, no, uh, this is not simply, what I would like to suggest to you is that I'm not gonna retell the story today. I hope that you'll listen to it or you'll get out your own Bible, 1 Samuel 17, or that you'll listen to it in the audio Bible that's in the Christ Journey app, free app that you can listen to, and then take the notes from this talk and then sit down and say, now God, where do you wanna take me? And, and see what happens, because it's not simply a story about the little guy who against all odds beats the big guy. This is not simply a Luke Skywalker versus the Death Star story. This is not a story about um, God's man versus the uncircumcised heathen Philistine. It's not that. It, uh, it's, it, it's also a story about three ways that people live their lives. And chances are you're doing one of these already right now. Even if this is your first time to be at Christ Journey, you accepted somebody's invitation, thank you so much for coming. We're honored to have you. But chances are one of these three you are already living by because, and every one of these three ways takes faith. What I mean by that is that belief drives behavior. And my contention is this, faith functions as the attitude that determines your altitude in life. 
There's a storyline in the story. So however you are choosing to live your life today, there is a belief system behind it. Oh, I believe in science. Okay, then you turn to science for solution. I believe in money, so I gotta get more of it. I believe in the uh, potential of the human spirit, so you know, let's, let's all rise. We, there's a belief system behind, even unbelievers have a belief system at work. They believe that unbelief makes better sense right? It's a belief that says unbelief makes better sense to me. That's why I'm doing that. Um, Atheist Carl Sagan in his book, The Cosmos, wrote this, the cosmos is all that is, all that ever was, and all that ever will be. Now that's not a scientific statement. That's a belief statement because there is no scientific empirical evidence to back that up. In fact, there is empirical evidence contrary to that called the Big Bang. So that's not a scientific statement, that's a statement of faith, and faith is a trust or a confidence that even scientists put in somebody or something or a method. And what we've been doing is studying heroes of faith from the Bible. And so I wanna ask you, are you a hero of faith? Uh, What we've learned is, Heroic faith lives above sea level. So beyond just what it looks like, faith takes you into what else is at work. God is at work. Uh, Next, heroic faith follows God's directions. We saw that in the story of Jericho. So if you're wondering, if, if I could take my pulse on whether I'm a person of faith today, whatever you say, here are two things we've already learned. Faith lives above sea level. It's not just about what it looks like. And uh, it follows God's directions when God shows me. And then today we learned this truth. Faith functions. You wanna know what the function of faith is in your life? It determines your Altitude. It's the attitude that determines your altitude in life. And the story introduces us to three altitudes, three groups of people, three people that are flying at different altitudes through life, and it's because of what they believe, of the attitude that they're practicing. The first one is defiance, the defiant giant Goliath, and his attitude obviously is defiance. He's proud, he's self-sufficient, he's got it going on. He's almost 10 feet tall, and the armor and the equipment that he weigh, that he, that the weapons that he uses weigh over 150 pounds. And this guy, he is a massive trained warrior. And it just like kind of a walking tank into the battle. And uh, every day his approach has been this, win by intimidation and superior technology. So he goes to the perch on the battlefield and every day for the past 40 days, every morning and every night, he taunts the Israelites. This is what he says, verse 10. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. Man up, somebody, come on. Give me a man. And uh, I'm contending that some people live their lives full of themselves, full of arrogance and pride. I'm self-made, I'm self-sufficient. People whose basic approach to life is this, I believe in my abilities. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm just saying it's a thing. It shows up in the story, this is how some of us, we live our lives. My training, my skills, my, uh, my gifts, my resources, my armor, my strength, my confidence, my press releases, and I believe in me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, I'm just saying that that believing in your faith, I mean, believing in yourself, if that's as far as your faith goes, is gonna find you out. 
That's what the story is telling us. It's, it's going to find you out. It can be an Achilles heel that will show up at the most inopportune moments. You know anybody like that? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. First attitude, defiance. And the thing about defiance, it doesn't always look arrogant. It doesn't always appear arrogant because that doesn't sell well in the marketplace. So we kind of disguise it, but it's still there. Second attitude, King Saul and the soldiers of Israel. Every day for the last month and a half, they've gotten up in the morning, suited up, put on their armor, gone out to the battlefield, but so far nobody has even drawn a sword or thrown a javelin, not even said a word in response to the battlefield challenge. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now there's an attitude we, we know, dismay. Dismay means that you are distressed and disillusioned. Something's not right about this picture. And then you pour fear into that or add some terrorist into it. It says they were terrorized in it. And what you get is despondency. Like, I can't do anything. Despondency is low spirits and loss of hope. From loss of hope and courage, a low spirit. Do you know anybody in your world that's struggling with a loss of hope and courage because their spirit is flying so low? Dejection. Depression, these are words that our culture is familiar with. And when you spread that out to a whole army, when an entire army is feeling that way, it's called defeated. So here's the story so far. You've got a defiant giant who's full of himself and you've got a defeated army that is full of despair, full of fear. And then you've got a leader whose idea of leading is um, to offer enticements to his soldiers, big carrots. What does he say? Verse 25, the man who kills the giant, the king will give great wealth and my daughter's hand in marriage. In other words, you'll get to be part of the royal family for life. You're gonna come into the royals. They'll be doing news reports on you, right? And though the Bible doesn't tell us uh, Michal, his daughter, the rabbis say, was a woman of entrancing beauty the object of desire for everyone who saw her. So, I mean, this is a, that's a big carrot out there, you know, wealth, his daughter's hand in marriage and then tax exemption for life, imagine that. Oh my goodness. You and your whole family and their families, no more taxes ever, ever. Whoa. All the more evidence of the paralyzing fear that has hijacked this army because there's no takers. Month and a half, no takers. <laughs> what they have in the story, they have excuses, they have rationalizations, they have jealousy and anger and suspicion and defensiveness. I mean, read the story yourself and you're gonna see this stuff, you know, rising up little volcanic spurts here and there. And my, my point is this, when you hear yourself or others being petty or defensive, or suspicious in put-downs toward others. When you find yourself making excuses, it may be because in reality you are stalled, you are stuck, and you don't realize that fear is keeping you there, holding you captive. Let me ask you something. If you 
are suited up, but you never engage the enemy and you never strike a blow. Are you really a soldier? How do those guys feel? Month and a half, every morning they get up, they put on their armor, they go out to the field and they don't fight. They're stuck in the status quo. The army is defeated and beaten by their own attitude. This person says, I believe in my disabilities. That's where I'm putting my faith. My confidence is in what I can't do, my fears. You know, and then we get stuck in our disbelief. This is how it works on me. When I find myself saying this, you know, I would do something, but I'm not something enough. Fill in the blank. You know, somebody ought to do something about that. Oh, I would do something, but I'm not something enough. That's this attitude at work. I believe in my disabilities. Enter David the devoted. Third attitude determines your altitude. Youngest of the family, not yet old enough to be in the army. Uh, he may be 15 or 16. I mean, he's barely got peach fuzz. I don't even know if he's shaving yet. But he's got three older brothers that are already signed up. They're in the army. They're on the battlefield. They've been suited up for a month and a half. And his daddy sends David out to the battlefield to deliver them some snacks. Verse 17 says, I want you to take 10 loaves of bread, 10 cheeses for their commander. So David's a pizza delivery dude. That's what's happening here. Send out some cheese bread. And he sends out, gives him with food. He wants him to bring back some news for what's going on on the battlefield that day. But just as he gets there, the giant takes his perch and spews out his self-sufficient defiance in verse 23. What do the soldiers do? Verse 24, they recoil in defeat from their fear. And David's witnessing this. So what does David do? Verse 32, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David the devoted. What is devotion? How would you define devotion? Here's my working definition. Enthused loyalty. He's true to God with passion. That's what's happening. It's the combination of dedication, loyalty, and enthusiasm, entheos, this kind of energy that comes from God, which David explains, this, he's got resume on this. He, he comes with experience on this. He says, I've got, I have learned this from fighting wild beasts and protecting sheep, because he's been a shepherd for his daddy's flocks. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, <laughs> he's gonna deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so when David enters the field of conflict, verse 45 and verse 47, please read the story for yourself. He underlines this attitude of faith. He says that he is there for the honor of God. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And then he says, and all these people will know, all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. 
and he will give you all into our hands. No less than five times, that's my count, check me on that. But my, my count, he declares honor for the Lord. He's saying, I'm not here for the, I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to, I'm not here for the money. I'm not here for the beauty, for the beauty pageant queen. I'm not here for the royal family line. <laughs> I'm not here for the tax exemption. What he says is, I am here so God himself can show himself mighty to save. That's how he was understanding his purpose. He's the kind of person who says this, I believe in God's ability through my availability. Third attitude in life. And that's what happens, essentially. The story kicks into gear. Goliath moves in, but before he knows it, he's already been struck down. And, and the scripture's careful to say that Goliath got hit, now he is dead. Dead aim David. And, and then he runs across the field, takes the giant's sword, and drops it across his neck and cuts off the giant's head. Well, the Philistines are shocked. God, they're shocked. Their hero's down. And, and the Israelites are like, it's like a wake-up call, and now suddenly they get unstuck, and they rise up. Verse 51, the latter part of that verse says, when the Israelites saw that David had defeated Goliath, they surge into battle with a shout, and then they chase off the Philistines and plunder their camp. In other words, courage was contagious. It still is. when all it takes is one person to step out to encourage others to step up, right? Roger Bannister was the first man to run a mile in under four minutes. Um, before he did that, people thought it was humanly impossible. Maybe you know the story. They thought the human body couldn't physically go through that, that, that it couldn't go that fast, that it would collapse under the pressure and, uh, and yet 46 days after Bannister beat the four-minute mile and set his world record, his rival, an Australian runner named John Landy, beat his time. 46 days. What was he thinking? Oh, it can be done. I can do it. <laughs> if he can do it, I can do it. Right? Step out, step up. If he can do it, I can do it. Courage was contagious. Banner's victory helped him. And since then, thousands of others have done it. If you get online, you'll find a list of 4,500 names of people, maybe you've done it, who have run a mile in under four minutes. Bannister's victory. And by the way, in the last 50 years, the record has been trimmed by 17 seconds. Bannister's victory helped others rise to theirs. And so David's faith sparked courage for those that were previously defeated and despondent. So what's the big idea? Well, remember, here it is. Faith, you're wondering, what, what good is faith in my life? Well, let me tell you. Faith functions to determine your altitude. Faith is the attitude that determines your altitude in life. Every one of these positions require faith. And I can tell you that you are believing something right now and it is affecting your behavior and the behavior of those around you. It's already doing it. And were you to alter your altitude, it would likewise 
alter somebody else's perhaps. Your, alti- your attitude is determining your altitude, which makes it so important to ask yourself, what am I really believing? In the last 40 days, you've gotten up, you've suited up, you've headed for your battlefield. What's changed? What are you really believing? What belief is driving your behavior? The giant's still taunting you, or are you seeing them fall? I mean, I'm sure you're saying, well, it's not as simple as that. Okay, but (laughs) go with me in the story. Here's the thing. What are you believing? I'm telling you, you got three options here. The first one is you could say to yourself, I believe in me. I believe in my abilities, what I can do. I believe in myself. And like Goliath, you take the best that, you could, that you've got, you face life challenges by taking the best training, the best opportunity, the best education, the best equipment, and you fill it up with self-sufficiency. And here's what the story says. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying if you stop there, if that's as far as your faith goes, then um, it's ultimately self-defeating. Goliath was surprised. He didn't happen to have what it took that day. And it took him. Next, there are, belie- there are people who believe and live their lives essentially in, uh, in disbelieving. They're the type of person who says this, I believe in my disabilities, what I can't do. And that's where they have sat with their confidence. They put it in. It doesn't matter the equipment they have or the opportunity or the resources they have. There is a fear of a larger challenge that limits them by focusing on deficiencies. Well, I do something, but I'm not something enough. And typically it winds up blaming somebody else, you know? And like Saul and the soldiers, stalled or stuck. Maybe those words resonate with you. I'm stalled, I'm stuck. And they had their future hijacked by their fear. This is not the way to live. But essentially, the self-talk is this, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to bring that giant down. Is that where you are? I don't have what it takes to make this relationship work. I don't have what it takes to keep investing in this marriage. I don't have what it takes to finish this degree or to go through schooling. I don't have what it takes to fight off this disease. I don't have what it takes to break this bad habit. It's I don't, I don't, I don't. And there's, we're sitting in our lack of, we're putting our confidence in our disabilities and in our lack of sufficiencies. He said, but pastor, what if it's true? What's the secret? Well, there's the third option. Here it is. You ready? Be the person who says, I believe in God's ability through my availability. That's the third attitude and that God will show up on your battlefield. Now you can't control his timing. I'll be the first to tell you that. We've already seen that. You gotta get above sea level and you gotta follow his direction. But the initiative is yours to take to say, I believe that God has the ability that through my availability can show up on my battlefield. And if you wanna know how to slay a giant, here it is. David, we're here talking to us today. I think this is what he'd say. He said, you gotta start where you are. Don't wait to be somewhere else. Start where you are. That means right here, right now. That's what that means. In your battle, start right here, right now. Start where you are and then use what you have. Well, if I just had another, if I just had a, no, 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 no. You got a slingshot, bring it. Start where you have, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Don't say, well, oh, if I could only just, you know, reinvent the, no. Just do what you can. Throw the rock. 
And then most importantly, trust God with your life. You could die, yeah. Trusting God is not a bad way to go. Trust God with your life. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, and more than anything else, trust God with your life. And you know what could happen? Your, care, your courage could be contagious. <laughs> Somebody else could be watching, a son, a daughter, a wife, a husband. Somebody else, a brother, could be watching and watch you step out and then they step up and, and then that courage is contagious. Could that be happening? God's ability through my availability. And then God showed up on the battlefield and David just simply said, Lord, use me to show your saving power. Of course, he brought his best as well, but he showed up fully. He didn't hold back. He didn't just halfway get there. No, he showed up fully engaged, right? He wasn't distracted. Everybody's distracted these days. Is this true? You walk into a great restaurant and you see people sitting around the table like this. They're not, you know, they're, everybody at the table's doing this. You're outside on a beautiful day in the park and you, there's people sitting under the trees, look at them doing this. You're at the beach, people are doing this. You see what I'm saying? We, we're distracted. We're distracted by our smart devices. Is that ironic? Is that really smart? And, and we're distracted and we even call it being connected. What am I believing here? Because I'm distracted from what's right in front of me and I'm calling it connected? Seriously? What am I missing? What battle is to be engaged but I'm distracted? Did you know you can live your whole life distracted? You can be distracted by self-sufficiency, Goliath was. It cost him his head. The story is telling us you could lose your head if all you believe in is yourself. You can be distracted by self-limitations. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And see your future hijacked because you are believing in what you are not, missing what's right in front of us. Or you can go through life devoted, that's the third choice, declaring your availability to God's ability and letting him infuse you with enthused loyalty, devotion. Andrew Murray defined responsibility, a great spiritual writer, he said, my response to God's ability. That's what God's looking for, that's how David was living, that's why the giant fell. Are you believing in God's ability through your availability or do you think it's all up to you? or it must be somebody else's fault. Why doesn't somebody do something about that? And yet that's what God is looking for in you, for you to say, you know what? I'm gonna show up fully every day of my life. I'm gonna show up with what I've got and I'm not simply gonna believe in myself because that means I could really lose my head. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm not just gonna believe in my limitations, but I'm gonna believe as Jesus taught his disciples and John got it. John said, you know, here's the core. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. That's my availability to God's ability. <laughs> and then Paul, when he was writing from a prison cell, writes this. God is working. I know that's not what it looks like, is it? No, but faith lives above sea level. God is working, he says, and he's working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's like saying, I believe in God's ability through my availability. What's gonna happen if you do that? Well, as you step out, 
Don't be surprised that other people step up. And the next thing you know, courage is contagious and the world starts changing. In fact, this is God's design to change the world through you. When you show up and step up, then other people are affected. When they see you step up to volunteer and they say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Or they see you take on your giant in this fighting this disease. Hey, if he can do it, I can do it. They see you take on the habit that has been holding them captive and by God's grace, you break the chain and they say, wow, if they could do it, maybe I could do it. And because you are stepping out, they might just step up facing their issue, facing their family dysfunction, facing whatever those giants are that we just talked about because God uses you to unleash the army of faith. You know, verse 54 is an intriguing verse to me down at the bottom of the story. It sounds a little savage, actually. It's kind of gruesome. David took the Philistine's head. Think about that. David took the Philistine's head. <laughs> you know, and, and it says he went back to Jerusalem so that I'm sure so that all could share the hope that comes from seeing the evidence of the defeat of their worst enemy. Public enemy number one, no longer a problem. Okay, that's what was going on there. But imagine the scene. He goes home that day. You know, his parents are in the living room watching TV and they say, here, the screen door slam behind him, coming in the front. Mom says, round the wall, oh, honey, is that you? How'd it go today? Did you deliver the cheese to your brothers? And he walks around the corner. You know, what? Get that out of my house. What are you thinking? Right? And we're not told what he's thinking, but we're told what he's showing. You know what he's showing? That faith functions as the attitude that will determine your altitude in life, even when you started your day aiming a little lower. Just deliver the cheese. No, God's got bigger plans for me and he's holding the trophy in his hands. Can I ask you something? What trophies could God be putting in your hands if you were to release self-sufficient goals and stop believing self-limiting thoughts and instead said, Lord, my hands are available for your abilities through me and I will start where I am right now today, and I will use what I have, and I will do what I can, and more than anything, I will trust you with my life. Would you pray with me? God has trophies for you, his sons and daughters, but in order to seize the day, you must trust your God. Guard your belief, reset your altitude by changing your attitude. Maybe you realize where you are in this story and it's not really where you wanna be. Well, could I encourage you? The story's not over yet. This is your chance to say, Lord, I'm making myself available. You got a giant in your mind that you know isn't supposed to stand and you would say today, Lord, here I am. I can't do everything, but I can do something. 
And I'm going to start where I am and do what I can and use what I have. In a moment, we're going to take an extended prayer time and we're going to reenact in that time of prayer, gathering the stones and then standing in faith to sling them at the giant. And you'll see what I mean when we get there. And I want to engage all of our brothers and sisters in that, whoever will. But it all starts with trusting God with your life. So if you're a a seeker who's here today, or you've been attending for a while, but haven't taken this first step of faith to invite Christ into your life, to be able to say, greater is he who is in me, you have to let him come inside you. To open your heart, we say, to act, enact your will, to say, Lord, forgive my sins, come into my life. I'm turning from my way to your way. Make me into the person you would have me be, and I will follow. Thank you, in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, our heads still bowed just for a moment. And you would let me ask God's blessing upon your new steps of faith, then would you simply lift your hands wherever you are and allow me a moment to ask God's blessing for you? If you're joining us online, then you can click on that orange banner and we're going to be praying for you through our ministry there as well. To my left, toward the back, thank you, sir. And in the middle, to my left as well, God bless you. Thank you, sir. In the very back, God bless you. Anyone else? To my right. Amen. Lord, for each one who by uplifted hand has signified an open heart to receiving the gift of your salvation, the cleansing of your forgiveness and the presence of your spirit, we pray that now they would feel the burden lifting and the joy rising that would bring devotion alive in them. And we thank you for the gift that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now here's what we're gonna do. I'm inviting our worship response team, all of our ministry leaders who participate in that to find their way across the platform right now and to be here at the altar. And as they do that, I'm gonna invite everybody and anybody who wants to say, God has spoken to me about a giant that he wants me to address. And today, by stepping out, I'm coming to gather a stone, a stone, And you just simply, and I'm gonna say to our team members, we're not, the power is not in the prayer, the power is in our God. But as they pray that God would bless you in this challenge, then just receive the blessing and then find your way back. So we wanna make sure that everybody who comes has an opportunity to receive the blessing of prayer. And we're gonna need all of our worship team to here to respond so nobody has to wait when we say, please stand and come. Uh, then th- you can go right to somebody to pray. If there isn't somebody available, but you know God is saying, hey, meet me here, then you come and you can find your knees just for a moment and before you rise, take up the stone that God is giving you to put in your sling. Then we're gonna find our way back to our seats and I'll sort of guide us when we get there. So you understand what I'm asking? All right, then you respond as Jesus moves you. Right now, you can come and uh, we're going to be led. Amen.